This is The Mission Matters. We believe there is nothing happening in the world today more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. This epic work of redemption is the centerpiece of His plan for this age, which means it should be the focal point of His people. This is a place to talk about the importance of the mission. This is also a place to talk about the matters of the mission. The Mission Matters is a partnership of Missio Nexus and 1615 Missions Coaching, who have a shared passion to mobilize God's people to be a part of His mission. Our subject today is fundraising in a COVID-19 era. This program is hosted by Matthew Ellison from 1615 and Ted Esler, president of Missio Nexus. Now, Matthew introduces our panel of guests on The Mission Matters. Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of The Missions Matters podcast. I am Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and I am joined today by my co-host and good friend, Ted Esler, who's the president of Missio Nexus. Uh, our ministries have partnered for some time, but as of late, we've been talking about collaborating on a podcast. And so, Ted, I'm really excited to see this thing get launched today. Uh, the, the name of the podcast, if you didn't notice, is a double entendre. It has two meanings. So one, the mission matters. Uh, it's an important mission. In fact, we believe that there is nothing happening in the world today that is more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. So this is a place where we're going to talk about the unbelievable importance of our global mission. But we're also going to talk about the matters of our mission, the ideas, the issues, and the topics that are relative to this mission. <laughs> So, Ted, I'm really thankful for the partnership we share in the gospel. W would you set the table today and give us an idea of the topic we're going to be discussing, uh, introduce our guests, and then get the conversation started? Sure. Well, there's only one topic to talk about right now, and I think we all know that. It's this, uh, this big global pandemic, COVID-19, and a particularly impo of particular importance in the ministry world is what is going to happen with the whole fundraising uh, situation as we move forward through this uh, this pandemic? And today we got some subject matter experts that we've invited to talk about this. Uh, Jeannie Lee McMains uh, is vice president of gift planning services for National Christian Foundation. Uh, Virgil Dugan is president of National Christian Foundation in New Mexico, and then John Moore is a principal at John Moore Associates at a a certified kingdom advisor. So these are all folks with uh, their feet in the financial world, obviously. And um, I think it is interesting. Uh, let me just start with this question. Uh, we've got a couple of folks on the call that have been affiliated with National Christian Foundation. And of course, they have a lot of donor advised funds. And I think a good way to start this off would be just to hear, let's start with, with you, Jeannie, about uh, just give us a quick uh, description of what a donor advised fund is maybe for the uninitiated that could be listening out there. I'd be happy to. Thanks, Ted. And thank you all for giving us the opportunity to connect with you today. So um, a donor advised fund is, is, is a fantastic giving tool that allows God stewards to be able to give of their resources, grow those resources, and grant them out to the churches and ministries and missions agencies that God puts on their heart in accordance with his prudent timing. And so a, a donor advice fund is, is basically an account inside a public charity like the National Christian Foundation as an example. And um, when a giver gives to that account, they have the understanding that they're gonna retain an advisory 
privilege to be able to recommend where those charitable dollars go. At NCF, we see ourselves as a mobilizer of resources, um, and we're all about helping our givers um, give wisely and deploy those resources as quickly as the Lord puts on their heart. So uh, the question I think that's going to be on a lot of ministry leader minds right now is, are donor-advised uh, accounts, are they going to be sat on? Are people going to just watch the stock market? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but most of those funds are in fact invested in some way in the stock market. Or are they going to give generously? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I'd like to speak to that. We, we treat the donor advice fund in our thinking like a pocket. And what we've been encouraging the folks that we deal with day to day is it might be time to empty the pockets. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that some of the tax uh, benefits that are, that are in this, uh, the current CARES Act uh, drive people to cash giving. Uh, and in our case, we've been praying, uh, be, meaning my wife and I have been praying for uh, gifts that would really be game changers for the ministries that we support. And, and I think from a ministry point of view, if, if they could be thinking about what would be a game changer, it might just be pay the light bill. But the point is, if a donor asks them that question, that they're prepared with a project or something that, you know, if God's stirring their heart to empty the pocket right now, let it have an impact, make it meaningful. In the 2009 crisis, uh, John Piper wrote an article and he said in times of financial crisis that sometimes God's people will be more generous, not less, because they're more in touch with the fragility of life and just the passing nature of material things. And so I've been praying for that. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen across the board, but, but I will say I've been a personal, our ministry beneficiary uh, of some of those people emptying those pockets at this point. And, you know, Virgil, I know you interact with a lot of donors. I, I wonder if you could give us an idea of what major donors are thinking today. Do you have any idea or any sense what they're thinking and feeling? Yes, that's a very interesting thing because uh, when something like the coronavirus shows up, we think of it as being uh, a viral-borne illness, but there are collateral damages of the infectious nature of this thing. They are social, they're economic, they're environmental um, collateral damages or collateral effects or impacts. And so what people tend to do when something new and different comes along, they have to somehow deal with it. And it's almost like uh, their, their protein computer hangs up. So what we as individuals do, we start focusing on changes that we cannot anticipate or that we cannot understand or that we cannot explain. Uh, one of those changes is our balance sheet. Another change that takes place maybe is our income, depending on whom we might be. Um, but donors then are trying to reconcile these changes in, in a situation they may not have encountered before. So a lot of the donors are trying to understand you know, is this something that's going to be lasting or is it something fairly uh, short term? Is this something that's going to have uh, impact on my entire giving strategy or is this something I just need to ride out? Like John says, should I empty my pockets or is this something I should wait and kind of see how, you know, how the charitable enterprise is going to 
fair as a result of this. So all of these changes take place at once. And what can happen is people freeze. They tend not to, to react. They tend not to act. And I think we see that full spectrum all the way from people who freeze because of fear or uncertainty, and then people who are very confident in the, the Lord's grace, and they do what John has just mentioned. They give over and above what they may do. An example of that, I can't speak to the national um, picture right now, but I know in New Mexico, in March, our total donations from donor advised funds under our supervision are 80% higher than they were a year ago at the same time. Um, I have calls. I had a lady call me up this week who has a $30,000 diamond ring that she doesn't want. She wants to know how can I give that away? How can I turn that into cash so that I can take care of ministries? And another young couple in their early 30s called me up uh, day before yesterday. And they were wanting to know should they, could they, might they take money out of their 401k uh, and deploy it to a ministry that was on their heart? So I think within the Christian community, um, we see the best come out in times like this. That's something that's uh, a great, uh, just a great comfort and a great encouragement as we see it. Well, Virgil, I want to make sure to give you the phone number for Missio Nexus. For when you get <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, how about nationally at the National Christian Foundation? Is it too early to say what's happening or does it appear that people are giving more? It, it does. And I would say this is where our biblical worldview and our passion for living on pursuit under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ really um, plays out. And gentlemen, we're seeing that at the national office now. And um, I would say coast to coast. One of the things we've been doing is having, you know, coffee chats at NCF. We're reaching out to our donor base, just like John said, um, at talking about we have been using Genesis, you know, the story of Joseph and seven years of storehousing and then seven years of famine. And, and for such a time as this, we have seen unprecedented philanthropic giving into the storehouses of donor advised funds. And we're finding, Ted and Matthew, that people are energized and being mobilized. Now, I always want to be cautious. I say typically the giving pathway kind of looks like a, a, a journey. But in a time like this where our calendars, our balance sheets, our business plans, um, our accolades are all kind of tossed up in the air, it's almost like a mountain peak has suddenly erupted in the middle of the pathway and it's a watershed. And as believers in Christ, we're finding communities rallying around, you know, faith over fear and um, pressing into what do you have for us, Lord? So I see giving up our grant making um, is at the same level or higher going out the doors. And we have people calling saying, how can I help? And I think people are in a rapid response to try to get this resourcing um, out to the churches and missions um, they're caring for the people who are having big questions about their current state, about eternity, and really need the gospel of Jesus right now. That's beautiful. When God's people give in times of abundance, I don't know how impressed the world is. I'm not saying that giving is not vital or important. But when God's people give generously in an economic crisis, I think the world scratches their head and they start to say, where'd you get your hope from? And I really pray that God's people respond in the way, um, in an ongoing way, as you described, Jeannie. 
You know, John, I want to ask you a question because we had an offline conversation about this because you interact with your clients about generosity and all these things. And you mentioned that there's a lot of voices out there today that people are listening to. And it's really critical that donors are listening to the right voices. And, and so maybe you could address that. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, the most important voice we hear is our own. That's probably, we probably talk with ourselves more than anyone else. But the, and so it's really important in your self-talk and in your quiet time that you really think through the faith versus fear dialogue that you might be having in your own mind. And secondly, the TV, the internet is just chock full of noise and it's designed to attract eyeballs and clicks and that sort of thing. And I can remember back in the crisis in 08, 09, I got a call from a woman and, and she said, I'm really worried. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, CNBC. And CNBC for us is kind of like financial pornography. Uh, and, and I said, well, why don't you watch the Food Channel instead? And she says, I like the Food Channel. I said, that's my point. Change the channel. <laughs> so, and, and one other time, I actually called the cable company and had them turn it off at a client's house. I got their permission, but it was just, it was just easier to remove that temptation. Uh, the last thing we practice in our office, my wife started this and encouraged me to do this in 08, 09 was a Sabbath from news. And so we pick a 24 hour period where we turn off the television unless it's a comedy. We turn off the internet unless it's something fun and basically not allow ourselves to be inundated with all the noise that's out there. And it's amazing, you know, if you're always, one more way to help the self-talk is to lower the volume for the stuff that's coming through the ears. Don't turn off the podcast like this one, right? That's, that's <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, be careful, again, careful what you listen to. So. Um, I'd be curious if any of you, maybe this is a question you can't answer, but what is going on with church giving when we consider the fact that people aren't attending services now? Are they continuing to give in other formats, and is it giving at a level that's really replacing? Anybody heard anything about that? Yes, there's a Barner survey that just came out that indicates that at least 25% of churches are having significant difficulties, particularly smaller churches within the urban environment. The reason for that is that churches and in, in general, smaller churches are very dependent on income-based gifts. And what we have now is a what I call an income crisis economically. It's not a balance sheet or an asset problem, it's an income problem. You may have heard today, I think we had 6.6 million additional filings for unemployment compensation today, following 6.9 million last week. So we have a lot of people unemployed and therefore their income and then their giving from that income is going down. The church is, um, is significantly impacted by that because a lot of church giving is income-based giving. So that's one of the reasons why John and Junia are mentioning in this time of difficulty or this time of um, struggle, asset-based giving becomes even more important for the church, for ministry, for everyone else. It becomes a much greater importance. And I might add too, we've talked about DAFs, uh, if you look at statistics, we have about $120, 130000000000 billion in this country in DAFs total, not Christian, but all, all DAFs. 
That compares with about a trillion dollars in private foundations, but that's nothing compared to something like probably today $110 trillion in total assets that households and charities hold. So there are a lot of assets out there that can be deployed when there's a need, and I think we identify this time in which we live as a specific need. Hmm. Well, it, it, and there's a little bit of a feeling, at least in my world, so, you know, if you're in a ministry context, that's not weekly attendance based like a church. The immediate impact is muted somewhat, but as we project down into the future, we feel like things are coming our way. Bad news is coming our way in a few months. So on the one hand, you know, you talk about the, the income challenge we're facing because of unemployment. That's, that's definitely an immediate thing that's happening. But there's also the more longer term concerns, I think, that uh, at least in, in the missions community among organizational leaders, they're concerned about that longer term impact as well. And, and I would add, because cash flow matters, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program loans are available to churches and other ministries. And there, it's, we've encouraged our church to get in line for that. And we've encouraged some other ministries that we work with to get in line for that. And it's a forgivable loan. And I'm not a big fan of borrowing, but the opportunity to have that extra cash come in and then have the loan forgiven under certain conditions is a real cash flow planning opportunity for ministries and churches. Something to really think about. The other thing we did, we do some work with a radio ministry and they postponed their spring fundraising drive. And I encourage them to time it for when the uh, stimulus checks show up and, and, and maybe encourage people who don't need the money to not hoard it, go spend it, give it away. And the timing of a request around the delivery of those checks, if half the people don't need it, might really end up providing some extra cash flow uh, for a ministry or for a church. Uh, you know, Virgil and John, go ahead, Ted. Well, just one data point. So yesterday I was on a phone call with about 80 uh, mission agency CEOs, and we took a poll and ask them how many organizations that are on the call are either in process or planning to apply for that payroll protection plan. Now on this call, there were Canadians and there were some African agencies, so they weren't all US agencies, but 65% said that they were in the process already. And that number's probably closer to 80 to 85% based on who was on the call. Matthew? That's good. Virgil and John, you had mentioned that, Jeannie, you've been having a lot of conversations about the CARES Act. And so for our viewing and listening audience, I wonder if you could just share out of your learning and understanding um, how we could benefit from this in the missions and church world. Happy to. Um, John really hit on a major one right there, and that is these rebate checks that are coming per household. And that's something we're talking about with our givers at National Christian Foundation. Hey, if you don't need these resources, consider giving them to your church um, or the charities that are out there serving other households in need. So I think that's a big one at $1,200 per adult and $500 per dependent. And in those households that are under 198,000 for joint and married filing, you know, that's gonna be a, an influx of income capital at a time that we need. So I think that's important. Um, another big provision, if I may, is this ability to do cash giving up to 100% of your adjusted gross income.
for gifts directly to churches and nonprofits with donor advice funds excluded from that. Um, so for your major donors or your um, givers that are in your congregations that have um, a lot of adjusted gross income um, that they're reporting, this is an opportunity for them to mobilize cash giving into the churches and um, missions agencies and be able to take an offsetting tax deduction. Now, your audience, when I throw a word like tax deduction, some of them are gonna be like, yeah, and some of them are gonna be like, oh no. But when I say tax deduction, that means if they give that dollar, the whole dollar goes to the church. But if they get a deduction, if they kept it, they would have had to pay in some states, you know, 37% federal and up to 13%, you know, in California on top of that. So they don't even really get to keep the dollar. This is a major opportunity for givers to give a whole dollar to their church at an out-of-pocket cost, sometimes of 40 cents. And so your major donors, they get this. And um, those that are answering the rally cry of, I'm God's steward, and I want to proclaim, you know, the hands and feet of Christ to the world around me who needs to know him and see him, this is a major opportunity um, to be able to deduct up to 100% of your adjusted gross income if you're an itemizer. Um, I've got one more, uh, a couple more, but um, if you are, a lot of our churches are filled with people who do not itemize, and this was big news a couple years ago, if you remember, guys, about how the standard deduction was going up, and so your average American household might not claim a charitable deduction, and would that have a, a blanketing effect on philanthropy along sort of a major donor um, Mass America base? Well, the CARES Act includes for those people who don't itemize, um, that, that middle America type giver, they can gift up to $300 in cash and be able to deduct that as a credit on top of, it's called an above the line deduction. So when you're a church, I think this rebate John's talking about, hugely important for your, for your mass congregation, that $300 cash gift that they can write off on their taxes is a big deal. And then the other one is for your major givers, your high income earners, the ability to give cash up to 100% of their income at an out of pocket of costs of anywhere from 40 to 60 cents. Big, big opportunities. Matthew, I'd be curious, at 1615, are you planning to have less financial resource? We are. We just had a board meeting a couple weeks ago and just being prudent and you know reasonably looking at the situation uh, we, we've seen a couple of donors drop off, um, not a bunch at this point, but just said, look, we're in a crisis. We hope to be able to give again in the future. And then, of course, because 1615 works with churches, we do church mobilization. We do coaching and consulting. And so at least 50 percent of our income comes from the churches we work with. As you can imagine, they're pushing pause right now. Um, yeah. They just don't have the mind space to really think about this. Now, we're exploring virtual engagement possibilities. But one of the things that concerns me, and I'm not worried because ultimately, because Jesus Christ himself upholds the hope of the Great Commission's fulfillment. But in the short term, I think when there's so many problems happening right outside our front door, it's incredibly easy to forget about the nations and the unreached. And I'm not saying we should minimize those issues that are all around us. We should be salt and light. But the organizations I talk to and the churches I talk to are concerned that there's going to be a, a downturn in giving. And again, giving that's already pretty meager if you look at overall Christian giving that goes to missions. Yeah, and I, and I do I also think it's important to remind everybody that, 
I mean, here in, here in a country like the United States, you know, we, have, we do have needs and we're quarantining. In many places where you find the least reached, where missionaries should be focusing, uh, the situation can be much more dire than it is here. Um, so there, there's, there's that angle as well. We, we also have some organizations that are purposefully deploying missionaries to COVID-affected areas to minister to the people that are there. Now, interestingly, they don't want to be named and they don't want to be outed. Uh, the reason for that is there was so much backlash against John Chow's martyrdom that they've kind of decided better for us to do this ministry and not talk about it publicly. But that is happening um, in, a, in a, I think, a significant way. So that's another thing going on out there right now. You know, I wonder if either of our guests could address this issue. You know, when there is financial crisis of any kind, most often the the the, uh, the budgets that get cut first are the budgets that are outside the building. Um, just wonder if there's anything you could do to encourage or um, you know assist those who are listening. How do you maintain a global focus like Ted talked about? You know, in the midst of so many issues that are all around us. Well, one idea we've used at our church is we asked uh, a significant giver actually created a matching gift fund for missions giving during a time like this. So it was targeted and an, and an encouragement. The other thing that, you know, many churches, there's several high percentage, surprisingly high percentage of the congregation that doesn't give at all. So another church we know about, they created a matching gift for first time givers to the church. And, uh, and it, again, it leveraged the people to, to try generosity and maybe around the $300 uh, above the line deduction that Jenny talked about or something like that would be a really good opportunity for, for someone to step up with a matching gift, either for a ministry, for a church, or targeted toward missions in particular. Hmm. Great. And I would uh, add to that, at a time like this, you know, we've become so focused on the urgent issue. You know, associated with the illnesses, uh, income issues, etc. I think it's so important that all agencies who are involved in Great Commission work think about really re-emphasizing their strategic import, what it is they're doing, why it's going to make a difference, why it's completely in agreement with and responsive to the Great Commission and make disciples of all the nations. Don't assume that people are going to be thinking about that when they're caught up with the urgent issues of the moment. So you have to re-communicate, you have to re-establish, you have to redefine, and you have to, if possible, um, you know, give them a vision of what it's going to look like a ways down the road. I know John has a quote that God-given vision inspires giving, and I think that's so true. It's always true, particularly with major donors. So that vision has to be alive, it has to be dusted off, it has to be uh, compelling so that people will be attracted to it and be able to see beyond the urgencies of the moment. So I've already received a couple of, of uh, financial appeals, and when I read them, it felt a little opportunistic to me. And I'm wondering uh, what you would comment about just a communication strategy. I mean, you want to be urgent about the need, but you also got to be careful here because sometimes it can come across, I think, in a really negative way. 
in the midst of a crisis? Well, I got a call uh, expecting, I'd already practiced my, my no answer when I returned the phone call to this uh, fundraiser that I know. And you know what? All she did was say thank you. Thank you for past support and the impact that it's had on what they're doing as an organization. And I, and I think a simple thank you sometimes goes a long way to bring people uh, a touch that, that reminds them that you're still out there, you're still functioning. And, and that was a very unusual. I, I still think back on that call and go, wow, that was not at all what I was expecting, but we're really effective. Maybe some of you heard the um, webinar that Dr. Henry Cloud did a couple of weeks ago talking about the psychology of the crisis. And in that webinar, he pointed out that um, in a crisis, our brain registers an error. And we have to somehow reboot our protein computer, if you like. And a big part of that is what he described as connectedness, that connected, connectedness is the thing that drives all human function. And so that's true with uh, every organization. You have to reconnect with your donor base, your suppliers, and you have to do it in a compassion, understanding way, not trying to sell something just based upon the urgent needs of the moment, but sell something based upon the tried and true um, principles and missions and values of forever after. And that's what is going to renew that connectedness and out of that is going to come uh, gifts and grants and and the satisfaction from givers, joy and giving. I'm really glad you asked that question, Ted. Uh, like every ministry, we sent out correspondence to our entire constituency in the midst of this. And we said, the mission's not canceled, we're still here. But as a board, we said, you know, we're not gonna do a heavy ask right now because it may come across as insensitive or opportunistic. Um, so I, I have a question for all of our guests. How do we as, nonprofits, missions nonprofits of that convey some of these um, ideas about giving, um, the benefits of giving right now under these circumstances. I is it appropriate for us to tell them about some of these things? Or does that need to come from another voice? What do you think, Jeannie? I think if you do it within the context of what you want for them and not from them, to come alongside and helping them wherever God is writing their generosity story. You know, it's really important to set that connectedness. Notice that John said it was with a call and um, it is about connecting with our givers. So I think, yeah, I think it's a great idea to connect with them, but open-handedly. And whether you do that through a writing um, piece or an online piece, but with the technology we have today to do a podcast like this, um, and or like live Zoom calls with your donors, we're finding um, that's a great way to connect to givers. Um, so. Thank you. Yeah, I would, especially the video piece, I think right now is, uh, you know, our culture is undergoing a mass acceptance of uh, this kind of strange, what, what it used to be strange communication method virtually. Now it's just, everybody's doing it. And um, anybody who doesn't have, uh, I think, good video skills is going to suffer because th th these are the days when um, you, you can make a pretty personal greeting. And you can, I mean, we're doing events at Missio Nexus and we're getting speakers to agree to speak that we have tried to get for years, but because they don't have to travel, 
now it's easier for them to be able to virtually connect. And so I would just say, got to utilize uh, this change uh, that we're all um, undergoing right now. Yeah. And not emphasize that more, Ted. Um, I, I've taken three speaking events in four days that I normally never booking out months in advance, but um, I thought it was really fun on one we did last month. We had 150 little video tiles and everybody just, and of course you, you, but it was a way to be connected to go back to Virgil's point that you're part of a larger community of people um, and it's authentic and real and it, it's a different shift in our communication style than we had three months ago. Yeah. I'm right. sure you probably all have heard that um, sermon illustration about the little kid that wants to pray to God. And he says, but I want you, mommy. And mommy says, well, you can pray to God. And she says, well, I need somebody that has skin on. I have a feeling that we are going to hit a point where we're going to want to have some skin on meetings <laughs> before too long. Uh, but right now, this uh, this thing is definitely raining. This virtual connection point is well, definitely boss. I, I pray that there's that boomerang effect that we've been talking about, Ted, because I this is wonderful and we should leverage this tool. And I'm not saying you can't have a relationship using this tool, but there's just something about life on life connection for God's people. I mean, the word church means gathering and you can gather virtually, but it's just not the same. So I'm going to believe with you for that, that, you know, we continue to leverage these tools, but once again, we're just excited to be together and to minister side by side in this cause so I, I wonder if we couldn't take a moment now and, and really try and distill what we've learned here today, um, you know, for the viewing and listening audience. What's the messaging that is coming out of this conversation? So we're just going to defer to all of you, you know, what's kind of the main point you want to leave with folks today um, that have listened to this? I would lead off to say, regardless of whether we're talking about cash flow or tax economics, times like these shake us up and wake us up. And as the body of Christ, um, this is an opportunity to prayerfully encourage one another to lean in, um, to shed things, thinking about fear or identity or security, or even the author of our days being wrapped up in our resources and to um, really wake up and press in. Uh, I think it was you, Matthew, who said, when, when finances are plenty, the giving can kind of go unnoticed. But when things are tight and Christians are rushing in to be the rally cry, um, people, people take notice. So to me, that's the overriding message. Let's get in there. Let's figure out how to be wise stewards. Let's be you know, wise with the opportunities that are available to us. Um, and let this be a chapter that God writes and that together you look back upon reflection, because this time will pass. We've been through rocky economic times, and we want to look back and say, I boldly lived out my days for the glory of Christ. John or Virgil? Faith and fear, faith and fear can't coexist. And I, we've always heard that uh, generosity is the antidote for greed. And I'm coming to believe that generosity is the antidote for fear because generosity requires faith. It's mm. a good word. Matthew, I'm going to quote uh, a quote from John Piper that I've heard you quote before. John Piper said, God is calling us above all else to be the kind of people whose theme and passion is the supremacy of God in all of life, including difficult times. 
no one will be able to rise to the magnificence of the missionary cause who does not feel the magnificence of Christ. There will be no big world vision without a big God. Um, I think that's worth all of us dwelling on and ruminating on during this time. And again, we're, we're, we as a nation are not poor. We have to be careful that we don't let the media or let ourselves or our fears convince us that we are poor. We're not. We still have tremendous resources at our disposal for investment or investment in Christian enterprises. So we need to think about, again, how we can do that wisely, how we can do that freely, how we can do that joyfully, and what, what better time than a time of difficulty to do something special? Back to John's point all over again. Yeah. I'm going to answer my own question in the TED. I'm going to let you wrap it up with your response and then the little segment that we always end with or will end with in the future. But 1 Peter 3.15 comes to mind for me, and it's really connected to everything we've been talking about. But Peter says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. He's writing to a persecuted church, and the implication there is they're suffering so well in such a way that people are wondering, where'd you get your hope from? Um, It's implied there that People are asking, and I'm just praying that God's people would respond right now with such generosity that the world would say, where'd you get your hope from? You know, we love money. We wouldn't be happy with that money, but you're just giving it all away right now. And so um, that's my prayer for my brothers and sisters in the missions world, that um, you'd be recipients of those incredibly radically generous people who are rising up right now. Ted, I want to know your response, and then uh, you're going to close us with something that we're going to do on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Well, I would say uh, for me, that kind of that opening where we talked about how giving is up from these donor advised funds, that is super encouraging. I'll, I'll admit, I've been one who's been a little bit suspicious, even though I've actually had my own donor advised fund that I've operated. I've been suspicious that people would ride out these uh, stock market downturns and to hear that people in fact are being generous despite the fact that some of their uh, portfolios may have lost you know 18 25 percent or more um, not realize some of that's coming back but still um, that's very encouraging for me to hear and i hope that particularly ministry leaders that are sitting out there listening to this are encouraged that we're seeing that kind of a response so that that for me is a big take home well each time we do this podcast, we're going to try to finish with something uh, we call, I call it something I like, uh, but something we like, I guess it could be that as well. And this uh, month is kind of a funny one. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness straight up. But uh, you know, I read a lot. And I've even got an ebook out about how to read voraciously and, and, and how to have a good reading diet. And um, I read a book last month that for me is maybe one of the best books I've read in a couple of years. And I don't dole that out um, lightly uh, because I read a ton and I read a lot of garbage, frankly, um, because there's just not a lot of great writing out there. And this book um, is just fantastic. Now, the title is a little off-putting and I'm sorry for that. Uh, the title is Writing Without BS, but the title of the BS is actually written out, okay? It's by an author named Josh Burnoff. And the book is about how to write particularly 
in a uh, business setting. It's not about novel writing. It's really about how to write good business correspondence, which many of us do in our work lives. And it is chock full of some of the best um, ideas on how to make your writing really pop, how to get your points across in a way that uh, is highly illuminating. Um, and I have taken one of the things he does in the book, he says, go back and look at stuff you've written and compare it against what we've talked about in the book. And I've gone back and done that, and I've realized how terrible some of my writing has been in years past. And um, I have been applying these principles. I got the book first. I got it. I read it. Then I bought the audio version. I've probably been through it three times, um, and I've only had a short amount of time. It is a fantastic book to read. So writing without BS, you might have to make a little cover for it and hide it if you got kids around the house. Uh, in, in the book, he actually says, you know, there's not a better word for it than that. Um, and that's why I used it in the title. Uh, he wasn't trying to just be kind of provocative. So uh, writing without BS by Josh Burnoff, that's something I really like. Go out and get it. I think you'll be impressed with it as well. So that's it, Matthew. Yeah. I want to thank our guests for being here today, and I hope that months from now we talk again, and what we're celebrating is a lot of pockets that have been emptied. Thank you so much for being with us. With that, we bring to a close this edition of The Mission Matters with Matthew Ellison from 1615 Missions Coaching and Ted Esler, president of Missio Nexus. Our topic today has been fundraising in a COVID-19 era. We've heard from a stellar group of guests and we'll be back next time with more engaging and provocative conversations about the Great Commission. Before we close, let me give you the websites for our sponsors of The Mission Matters. Please note 1615.org and missionexus.org. That's 1615.org and missionexus.org. The Mission Matters is presented through a partnership of 1615 Missions Coaching and Missionexus.